scripture for today is taken from the first chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 16. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Now, I'm sure you're wondering why this morning's text is just a long list of names. Part of it is because Scott's such a great reader, I thought I'd throw a challenge his way you know all those <laughs> all those names I'm sure he had to look up <laughs> and figure out how to say uh, that was part of it but another reason is that uh, according to the lectionary we're in Matthew and Matthew begins with this wonderful genealogy Luke has a genealogy as well genealogy is such an important part of uh, the Jewish life in the first century and in the Old Testament all the way back, that it, I believe it bears uh, bringing up. It's an important part 
of who Jesus is. And particularly, I'm intrigued by Matthew's genealogy. Uh, and, be, and what I'll say about this is that Matthew's genealogy is a statement of theology and Christology. And by that, what I mean is that Matthew is saying something to us about the character of God. And Matthew is saying something to us about who Jesus is in this long list of names. Uh, It describes, it first starts here, it, it goes from Abraham all the way up to David, from David to the exile, from the exile up to Christ. And there's 14 generations in between each of those transitions. And I can tell you that there's volumes of books on to why 14 uh, and but you know what? I'll sum it up by saying, who knows? <laughs> it does, uh, who knows? It's random. Matthew has a thing for symmetry, and I think that's about all that there really is going on there. There's no magic formula within 14 that tells us anything about anything. But it is interesting, and there is this symmetry uh, Matthew has put together. Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, And I suspect that Luke is there trying to show uh, Christ's uh, connection to all of humanity, beginning with Adam and going all the way up to Mary and Joseph. Matthew chooses to start at Abraham, again with a reason to show Jesus' connection to the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and to David, uh, who is a significant person in the life of the Jewish people at the time uh, and who the Messiah was linked to by the time Jesus came along. And so there was this great expectation that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And so Matthew is saying, if you're looking for the Messiah, here it is in Jesus. But what is unique here in Matthew's lineage and Matthew's genealogy that I really find interesting are the four women that are mentioned in the list of names. Now I got to tell you that that is unprecedented, unheard of, and there's no other instance of it that I know of where women are brought up in the lineage. The first century Palestine. Women didn't really hold a big place in the grand scheme of things. Fortunately, we've evolved a bit there, and uh, (laughs) there's still some more evolution to happen. But uh, at the time, this was unheard of and an incredible thing for Matthew to do. And so my contention is Matthew's trying to tell us something by talking about these four women and their incredible stories So I really want to focus in on these four women and ask the question, what do their stories tell us about who Jesus is and about the character of God, the nature of God? The first mother we come across is a woman named Tamar, who is the mother of Perez. And her story is found in Genesis 38. And I got to tell you, her story, this is good stuff. You want to see some real good stories, look through the Old Testament because they have some page turners in there. And, uh, and, and reading Tamar's story 
and many of the other ones in the Old Testament, it makes me wonder how some of our fundamentalist friends get so much about family values out of the Bible because, quite frankly, the family values that are being promoted in the Bible are a little sketchy. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure we want to be using <laughs> some of these examples uh, as uh, our examples of what family values stand for. And one of these is Tamar. Uh, or at least her story, she was given over to Ur, who was the son of Judah. Judah, one of the 12 that were uh, 12 sons of Jacob, right? And Judah had given Tamar over to Ur. Now, Ur, however, he was a wicked child who was up to no good, and he died an early death. And because he was so wicked, many attributed his death to God's wrath. And God had taken him out early. And as is the custom in Judaism at the time, Judah instructed his next son to take Tamar as his wife and give her a child to carry on Ur's name. This is how they perpetuated the lineage uh, back then. They uh, kept it in the family, as it were. And I got to say that, that Judah's second son did not like this idea. And so he denied her the privilege of childbirth. He didn't visit her. And I guess I should say he didn't visit her. All right. We all get that. I'm trying to keep it PG-13. But uh, he didn't visit her. And Judah thought something's going on with Tamar. Something's going on there. Well, Ur eventually died. And Tamar still did not have a child. And Judah blamed her, as was the custom of the time, to blame the woman. And so the third son was supposed to come up and step in there and, you know, hit one home for the team, right? And, uh, but Judah said, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not handing off one other son for Tamar to ruin and have an early death occur. So Judah denied her this, uh, this thing. And so uh, at this point, Tamar takes things into her own hands. And this is what she does. Tamar, bless her heart, dresses up as one of the temple prostitutes for the temple, uh, the Canaanite god down the road. And this is, this is where, see, <laughs> women know men so well. <laughs> Judah passes by, and he decides to stop and uh, spend some time at this temple prostitute's place. <laughs> and not having any money, not only was he a pervert, but he was cheap. <laughs> not having any money... <laughs> He gives her a he gives her his signet ring. Again, this is this is how women know men so well, and men are so dumb. <laughs> but Judah gives uh, Tamar his signet ring, the symbol of his his patriarchy, the symbol of his patronage. Right? Uh, he gives her the signet ring and a few other things, and says, "I will I will come back, and I will I will pay you. Just hold on to my ring, and I'll pay you." Now, of course, he. He leaves and never comes back. And, and, well, actually, I take that back. He comes back, but she's gone. And he asks around, hey, where's the temple prostitute? And everyone says, there's no temple prostitute here. <laughs> there hasn't been one for a long time. I don't know what you're talking about. So that leaves him perplexed and without a signet ring. 
Three months later, Tamar is, uh, is showing with child. Now, I'm sure you realize how that happened. <laughs> A little visit from Judah caused this. And everyone is furious. They call her names. They, they ostracize her. And Judah calls for her to be burned at the stake. Well, when she is brought to him, she reveals that the father is the one whose ring I have at the time. All of a sudden, everything gets quiet and everyone's ushered out of the room. <laughs> Wait a minute. This, of course, outed Judah. And to his credit, he acknowledged her and acknowledged his wrongdoing and his sinfulness. And he acknowledged Tamar. This woman is more righteous than I. And he acknowledged her son Perez and took him as his own. Tamar, with a confident sense of calling, relentlessly pursued that which God had for her and was willing to go to great lengths to secure the future of the clan of Judah in spite of himself. And when her time came to bore Perez, who was acknowledged and treated as Judah's son, uh, she undoubtedly passed on her great strength and her conviction to that, that little child, Perez. Now the next woman mentioned here in the lineage of Jesus is a woman named Rahab. Now Rahab is mentioned in Joshua 6. Uh, the name Rahab lives on in the collective memory of Israel as the prostitute who hid the Israelite spies who went into Jericho on a little recon mission. See, they were getting ready to take over Jericho, to move out into the promised land that God had bought them. But there was this giant city with a big wall there. And so uh, Joshua sent a few spies in there to check things out. Well, Rahab saw the writing on the wall, said, I think something's coming up here. I better help these guys out. So she hid them in her house. Rahab was a prostitute and had a lot of play, hiding places for people. And she is the sole survivor, along with her family, of the Battle of Jericho. Her actions through, the, uh, through a Canaanite prostitute, though a Canaanite prostitute, secured her a place of prominence among the Hebrew people. Rahab was taken as the wife of Solomon, who gave birth to Boaz. And Boaz was raised by this former prostitute and Canaanite. Foreign woman, foreign prostitute. And Boaz brings us to the next mother that's mentioned. And that's Ruth. Ruth has her own book in the Bible. Another odd thing uh, in this patriarchal system we're uh, delving into right now. Ruth is not Jewish either. She's a Moabite from Moab, a foreigner who was married into the family of Naomi. But when famine struck and war and pestilence and all this, both Naomi and Ruth and the other sisters all lost their husbands. And at this time, if you weren't connected to a husband or a family, uh, there really wasn't anything for you to do. You were without resource and without recourse. 
And so Naomi uh, decided she would go back to uh, Jerusalem. She would go back to Judah. She would go back home to the Jewish people, leave Canaan. And uh, she basically, in her mind, she was going home to die. But Ruth said no. The other, the other daughters left. <laughs> the other daughter-in-laws left and went back home. But Ruth said, no, I am going with you. They, they had a great relationship. Uh, she loved her mother-in-law, unlike a lot of folks. But uh, she really got into that. And, and she said, no, Naomi, I am going to go with you. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And then she, she, so they left, they went to Bethlehem, uh, around there, around where Bethlehem is, and returned there when the famine hit, took Ruth with her, and there they came across Boaz, one of her own countrymen, and uh, Naomi instructed Ruth on how to seduce and capture Hebrew men. She gave her, her a lot of instruction in that. And uh, Ruth met Boaz at the threshing floor where she uncovered his feet. And that's, uh, that is a colloquialism. <laughs> the Bible is real vague about sex, I've got to say. So, but that's what's going on here. And Ruth and Boaz gave birth to Obed, who grew up in this mixed home, raised by a Moabite woman and a Hebrew man. And Obed gave birth to Jesse, who gave birth to David. David. That, that name can't help but give you a little bit of shivers. David is the pinnacle of what it means to be Hebrew. He is the superstar. He is the guy. He is the example of perfection. He is a man after God's own heart. He was a mighty king and a warrior and a poet and he sang and what's not to love about David which brings us to the next mother on our list Bathsheba Bathsheba here is listed as Uriah's wife in Matthew's lineage lest we forget her story which is found in 2nd Samuel 11 Bathsheba is listed as the wife of Uriah because that is whose wife she was when this great and mighty David king took a liking to her while he was peeping at her taking a bath. The idle hands are the devil's workshop. <laughs> he decided instead of going to war, he would stay behind and he got a little bored. And they had an adulterous affair while everyone was off fighting from which she conceived a child. And when all of David, David's efforts to cover up his sins failed, he had Uriah, her husband, killed and took Bathsheba as his wife. Not exactly the kind of story you want to be bringing up at family reunions. So, how did you two meet? I, we'd rather not get into that. <laughs> Here, David and Bathsheba both found themselves so caught up in their sins that they could not find a way out. And it resulted in adultery and murder on the part of a king, David. Pinnacle of what it means to be Hebrew. There goes the mic. <laughs> 
Here, uh, it was only when they were confronted by the prophet Nathaniel and they were that they were caught. And then David repented. And out of this repentance, both received grace. But there was a lot of consequence that came out of that as well. And what an incredible lesson for them to learn. And what an experience to hand on to their son Solomon. That they were able to face their shortcomings and their shortfalls and go before God in humility. It would have given birth to a very deep an intimate faith, a faith that they were able to pass on to the next in line. And further on down the road, we come to the mother who is Jesus' mother, Mary. Mary is held up as an image of virtue and devotion. And all of this may be true, but I tell you what, to most of the world around her, she was seen as the girl who was pregnant out of wedlock, out of wedlock. And I have no doubt that she was the object of all kinds of gossip, maybe even some harsh treatment, ostracized by her friends and family. Jesus grew up with these people likely rolling their eyes at the story of his miraculous birth. Honestly, an angel came and told me, Jesus is from God. Oh yes, Mary, we know. (laughs) That's a sweet story. Keep telling it. (laughs) After the birth stories, you don't really hear about Joseph anymore, and it is thought by most that Joseph probably died when Jesus was very young. And so Jesus had to step in and care for his mother, becoming a carpenter himself. So here is Mary, teenage pregnancy, out of wedlock, dealing with all that shame and the implications of all of that, then raising a son all by herself, probably uh, several sons all by herself. This isn't an unfamiliar story, is it? (laughs) Sounds like a lot of folks in our own families, in our own situations. What an incredible story. Who says the Bible isn't relevant today? So here are these not-so-perfect situations from not-so-perfect people who have real-life situations that take some hard choices. And it is from this stock that Jesus is from formed. It is these women's blood that course through the veins of Jesus. It is that same blood that was shed on the cross. Jesus, not born out of perfection, Jesus is born out of the chaotic struggle of life and the gross sinfulness that we all find ourselves caught up in from time to time. Jesus' family tree represents life and humanity at its messiest and most inconvenient and least perfect. Matthew's genealogy, as I said, is a theological and Christological statement about the nature of God and who this Jesus Christ is. And what I think Matthew is trying to say about Christ is that Jesus was born to break down those dividing walls that separate people 
and trying to bring people together. Here is Jesus whom Herod called King of the Jews, and yet here are all these Gentile prostitutes and crazy women from all kinds of places all around the world. There is no purity here. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way to point out the events and the people in Jesus' family that most of us would want to cover up. I find it comforting to know that Jesus' family is as messed up as the rest of ours. Amen? (laughs) Truly, Jesus' genealogy seems to acknowledge that life is rarely as black and white as we would like it. There are bumps in the road. There are people who act in ways we wouldn't expect, like the foreigners and prostitutes in Jesus' lineage who are held up as righteous. That's odd. And there are those moments of weakness that affect the lives of others, such as David and Bathsheba. And yet in Christ, there is redemption, even for them. What Matthew is trying to convey about the nature of God is that God can turn things around. Amen? No matter how messy our life gets or how far afield we get, God can bring things about to a good end. Like the creation of the world where out of the chaos comes the natural order of things. Out of the chaos of our lives, the messiness, the ugliness. God can bring about that which is praiseworthy and redemptive. So as we ask this question over Advent, what are we waiting for? We are waiting for things to be perfect and forget about it. It is just not going to happen. And perhaps the other message here is that things are not ever going to be perfect. They don't have to be. The grace of God comes out of the messiness and the chaos that is around us. There will always be little messes. There will always be something that falls short. And yet, as we continue in faith, God is faithful in bringing things together and making things happen for the good. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, out of this tremendous family, this diverse family, this crazy and messed up family, we receive Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift. And we note how Jesus would not be Jesus if not for the struggles, the times of difficulty faced by Jesus' lineage. We thank You for Your presence in good times and in chaotic times. Help us to remember that You are always there even when we strain to see it and realize it. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.